Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome listeners and baseball fans alike. I'm patching with me batting cleanup because I need to see some better pitches hitting third is my best friend and co-host Aaron. I see how you made yourself Maris in this situation. I did. Which I, I guess did. means that I'm the better baseball player. So you yeah, may have with the a record. blown out knee and a drinking problem and a messed up marriage, you know. Cool. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sorry, did we spoil yeah, something already? Like, Never mind. <laughs> holy cow. Wow. Poor Mickey. <laughs> yeah. He's also a great baseball player. Yeah. And he's the That's one that who. most people remember. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So, yes, you are the the Mickey Mantle to my Roger Maris. And uh, it is October. We are kicking off the playoff season for baseball, leading to the Fall Classic and celebrating the breaking of an American League record by discussing Billy Crystal's HBO original film, 61 Asterisk. I know that's not how it's pronounced or how it's actually shown, but I always just think that's the way it is. Anyway, this movie tells the story of the 1961 home run race between Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle. And even if you aren't a baseball fan or specifically a Yankee hater like we are, we hope you are tuning in because you love the movie just as much as we do. This is your official spoiler warning as we will be talking in depth about this movie and probably a bunch of other baseball stuff that you may not know a lot about. And so <laughs> tune in, tune out, whatever. If you have HBO Max, you can watch this movie in its entirety. I wish you could wa listen to it with the commentary because it's just as good. But unfortunately, that is available to all of our physical media holders, myself included. Anyway, here we go. Aaron, I read your Letterboxd review. And I didn't realize that the first time you saw this, it was actually like a reluctant watch. Like you weren't really having a lot to do with this. And I wondered, did I prompt you to do this or did you get prompted somewhere else? And in any case, uh, what actually turned this movie around for you? Because your review was very much a glowing one. Well, I think it was, it was not, I don't think it was you. So when did I watch it? For the first time, I can't really remember, but it was a couple of years ago. Okay, it's 2021, so January. You know, I knew the movie existed, and I've seen most baseball movies. I think I might have been in the midst of some sort of a binge for sports movies when I revisited this. I know I had one of those within the last couple of years. But the reason that it had never elevated itself into territory of like a must watch was I think largely because it was devoid of stars and it felt like it was just a TV movie. And well, it was come to find out. <laughs> I didn't realize that until just this second viewing and reading a little bit more about it. That that's kind of why it felt like that is it was a like straight to streaming or straight to HBO type of release. It was not something that was out in a theater. And I guess between that and not liking the Yankees or caring about it, I, to be honest, Patrick, I didn't know the story and I thought I did. I thought, okay, well, Roger Maris hit 61 home runs. Like I know that I don't necessarily need a dramatization of that. That looks kind of cheesy to me. And so I just put it off and Lo and behold, I was pleasantly surprised to be wrong. 
Well, all right. I'm glad you were. I was sort of in the same boat. I didn't have a critic's eye when I watched this, but I remember hearing about the home run race. I think my dad was telling me about it. And it just came up as part of a, another conversation. And he was like, yeah, 61, that was the whole Maris Mantle thing. And I was like, what Mantle Maris thing? And I got to be honest with you, not knowing about it and letting this movie be sort of the introduction to that whole season for the Yankees really kind of reinvigorated my love for baseball. Because I think what we had was a, I think it came out around the time, just, well, it came out in 2001. And of course, it's sort of bookended by the whole thing with Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, that whole deal, which you and I both lived through. And I think being able to connect the importance of that home run race in light of what had happened prior to that with the strike and the loss of a lot of baseball fans, it helped bring people back to the stadium. Those two guys, for better or for worse, looking in hindsight, I think they re- attached people to baseball. And that's part of what I think that conversation with my dad plus that got me interested in this. In fact, I don't know if you know, in the back of my office, there are two, uh, I think they're called starting lineup figures and it's Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle in their coveted swings. And it's the only Yankee paraphernalia that I will ever own. Paraphernalia. (laughs) Paraphernalia. Merchandise, whatever you want to call it. I don't wear it. You know, when I was a kid, I used to take my starting lineups, Patrick, out in the backyard and I would set them up on a log and I would shoot them with my BB gun. And that is exactly (laughs) what you should do to New York Yankee paraphernalia. Okay. I'll do that to paraphernalia, but I won't do that to these guys because I think they represent those two action figures, starter, whatever. They represent this idea that a record, a race like this, went beyond the Yankees for a lot of fans and myself included. When we saw that judge won the home run title this year for the American league, all I could think of was Roger Maris, Roger Maris, Roger Maris. And it brought back the whole thing with Sosa and McGuire and then eventually bonds and just all the kind of craziness, good, bad, and ugly of all that. And this is why fans come to baseball games they come to see no hitters and home runs that's really because those they are do. they're rare they're they're absolutely rare you don't want to like every time i go to a double a baseball game here in arkansas the first thing i check off my list is when's the first hit going to happen when's the first run going to be scored because that gets rid of no hitters that gets rid of perfect games and it was so exciting earlier this season, and I texted you because our farm team, our AA farm team, is an affiliate of your Seattle Mariners. So we got to experience a combined no-hitter, which was incredible. And up to that point, I got to admit, I thought combined no-hitters were stupid because I was like, you're not using one pitcher. But the fact is, you're it's the team. The team is doing it because the team is what solidifies a perfect game and a no-hitter. It's yep. a, a pure no-hitter. A pure perfect game would be strikes with not with batters not even touching the ball. But that doesn't happen. You have infielders who are making bang-bang plays. You have outfielders who are snagging incredible fly balls. And that's what happened. And that kind of magic, I think, lives in a movie like 61. And I think what Billy Crystal does so well 
is he creates this amazing love letter to baseball at the same time that he is capturing what I would consider a fairly authentic biopic on not one, but two baseball players. Yankees, so, obviously. Go ahead. So so I didn't know that, that it was a race. I mean, that was the key for me, is that I had no idea going into this movie that it wasn't just Roger Maris. Like I, I knew nothing about Mickey Mantle's history outside of one of the greatest players ever. And he's in this group of names, a bunch of Yankees that you could put in that list that I don't know about the details of their career. And that was one of the most fascinating parts is even seeing the box art, which has two dudes on it, right? I just assume, well, the movie is about Roger Maris, who hit 61 home runs. That's great. And I had, I think that's part of what is so gripping about the movie is like you were saying, is it starts with the Sosa McGuire and it's goes into recalling this story of Maris, like you said, this book ended with the chase of McGuire and Sosa to essentially beat Maris. And it's just a really good framework. But I didn't know anything about either one of them. And so if you're telling me it's an accurate biopic, I like that a lot because I don't know anything about their characters other than this movie. And so it's the best I've got to go with as far as what I've ever seen Mickey Mantle or Roger Maris portrayed in any kind of media. And they seemed like pretty good dudes. Yeah. I think while I haven't done a full on read into Roger Maris or Mickey Mantle, I know that Billy Crystal is a huge Yankee fan and specifically Mickey Mantle. Like Mickey Mantle is the reason that he fell in love with the Yankees. And in his commentary, I think some of the special and some of the special features of the DVD, he talks about how he wanted to make sure that he didn't sugarcoat Mickey Mantle's persona. Like Mickey Mantle was a fantastic baseball player who blew his knee out in that incident that you were that that were brought that's brought to our attention. He was also a guy who was an alcoholic, who cheated on his wife, who had affairs and who was very much neglectful to his kids. Now, there's some redemption in that. I don't know all the details of it, but I think what Billy Crystal wanted to do specifically with Mantle was to not pull any of those punches, not to tear the guy down, but to show that part of what makes Mantle such an interesting character, an interesting baseball player, especially in a season like this, is all of that kind of struggle that he deals with. Those things become part of his ability to sometimes overcome and sometimes not. And I think for him, uh, Crystal, I think he wanted to make sure that his audience understood that he wasn't idolizing the guy, but that because he knew all that he did about Mantle, it made him a hero. It made him an icon and it made him really a realistic person in baseball, a realistic baseball player. It's not saying that all baseball players do what Mickey Mantle did, but they're all human. This idea that when you look at a sports figure of some kind, oftentimes we look at them as fans and go, we deserve X from you because you make all this money and you should do this, this, and this. I even question sometimes, sometimes the idea of being a role model for kids. 
I would like that. Yes, because you are a public face and because you have an obligation. It's really about the media and about the perception that gets to its audience that makes you who you are. So LeBron James, in some eyes, is seen as one of the greatest basketball players ever. And in other eyes, he's seen as the biggest jerk because of, you know, a handful of decisions that he's made publicly. (laughs) And so what do you do with that? Well, as a human being, we got to think LeBron James as a human being and that he's going to make mistakes. He's going to make great decisions. He's going to have accolades and he's going to be talented. All those things make him a complex individual as they should. And where I think 61 shines is that it does that with both Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle, because by the end of the movie, I had a hard time rooting for either. I really, knowing the outcome, as a spectator, I didn't really know who I wanted to win. And that question sort of comes up. It's asked throughout the movie, you know, who who are the fans voting for? Or who do the fans want to win? Who do the Yankees want to win? And the underdog was obviously Roger Maris. But there were aspects of Mantle and the pressure that he was feeling that made me want to go, man, he's the guy that should do it. I mean, he is the Yankee. He is like, when you think about the New York Yankees, he is one of the icons. When you think about the New York Yankees, you don't think Roger Maris, for goodness sake. You think Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio, Whitey Ford. When you throw in Roger Maris, it's like, oh yeah, and he did good stuff too. He kind of won the MVP twice, by the way. Two years, two years running MVP, by the way, Uh, 61 and 60. So I think what makes this movie work for me is the fact that you're getting an honest look at these characters, the honest look at these individuals. And it makes you really question as a fan, how, how sincere are you feeling towards these guys? How much rope should you give them? How much slack should you give them? And at the end of the day, can we, can we just step back and say, these are people just like us who have jobs and granted their jobs are a lot more fun than we are ours because they get to play a, a game for a living, but there's still a lot that goes along with it. And I, and I liked experiencing that with this movie, uh, being able to just walk through this with them and, and kind of cheer on my respective hero at the time. But by the end of the movie, I was like, man, I wish both of them could win. I wish both of them could, <laughs> could break that record and, <laughs> and put Babe Ruth in the seat. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's not quite the words that Mantle uses, but, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Family friendly <laughs> podcast. Get that, go get that fat. Yeah guy i even changed it when i texted it to you he was he was not happy he was like we need to take down that guy um yeah i agree with you i wholeheartedly i mean i think that that's the movie's strength is just it's in the relationships which is what is surprising about it i, I didn't know it was billy crystal that directed it i don't for some reason i didn't look that up until you told me and i was thinking to myself i was like wait like that billy crystal uh, billy crystal from our youth i mean he was done making movies probably close to two decades ago. Like we was in his kind of end of his prime when we were in our teen years. And so you don't hear his name come up very often anymore. And I was like, I just didn't remember that he was a director at all. I guess he has a couple of different credits um, for films actually, but yeah, it's kind of a a cool little one-off that someone so famous was just so, you know, obsessed with and such a fan of this team or whatever that they wanted to make a movie. But anyway, his decision to not make it purely about the home runs was what strengthened the movie for me. 
And yeah. it's it's the relationship between those two guys that I think sucks you in. And you're just like, wow. Like Absolutely. these are their teammates, their friends, their rivals, but they show you that just normalcy of you just said it of people that you don't get to see when you're looking at them on TV and you just believe in them as idols and you don't think about the fact that they go home and sleep on each other's couches and live three people in an apartment and make food together. And maybe, maybe most of them don't these days, but that's not the point. It's, you know, indicative of a way that they live their life off of the baseball diamond that we don't really care about, honestly, to most of the time. No. And when it comes to our sports teams, I think you and I, we talk about this sometimes that we wish that players would stay together longer. And I know that as a Mariners fan, as a Braves fan, we have our own distinguishing players that stayed with the, with the ball club as long as they could, you know, Chipper Jones retired a brave uh, Ichiro Suzuki came back and retired as a Mariner. He will always be, a, for me, he will always be a Mariner, even though he had an extension of his career at other places, but even King Griffey Jr., he's always going to be a Mariner because that's where he spent most of his career. Somebody like Albert Pujols, it's really interesting. He finished his career as a Cardinal, but he spent equally as many years as an Angel as he did as a Cardinal. So the perception of the love that a city has for an individual really doesn't matter when it comes to the length of time that they stay there relative to whatever team they go to. So like Freddie Freeman, I was sad to see him leave Atlanta because he was the guy that took the mantle of uh, mantle. He took the, the, the torch of being the leader of being the franchise player and got to send them to a 2021 world series. The problem is (laughs) money talks. And I didn't realize this, that when he left, he's originally from LA. So him being a Dodger doesn't bother me as much. It's going to bother me if Atlanta plays Los Angeles in the National League Championship Series because I'm going to be like, well, I'm not going to be pulling for the for the Dodgers, obviously. But there's a part of me that's going to cheer for Freddie Freeman. Freeman. And so when I look at Roger Maris and Ricky, Mickey Mantle, Maris himself was obviously not a, a Yankee, a longtime Yankee. And that's one of the things that comes up in the movie is that he's quoted as being not a New York kind of guy. I think that's what he said or what he was quoted as saying. And that, you know, the fans mm-hmm. took that to, to heart, even though that's not exactly what he said, or he said it sarcastically. Contrast that with Mickey Mantle, who's been with the club for several years, with Whitey Ford. In fact, when Maris is concerned about Mantle's like binging, binge drinking, and then the next day coming in with a headache and playing terrible, Whitey Ford says, look, We've been together for several years. We we know each other. We know this is how he is. And so sometimes that's kind of a fault where you have this new guy who's coming in who can see kind of the forest through the trees. And he's going, guys, I want to get back to the World Series. I want us all to be healthy. And Mix, he's one of the guys that's going to do it. We got to take care of him, which obviously leads to the whole him leaving the St. Moritz to go stay with Bob and Roger. But I think watching them throughout the season, you could see that camaraderie. You could see that they both had outside of the home run race, they had a desire to play well. And when you get to that conversation in the 
managers in Hauk's office where he switches them, where he puts Maris in the three hole and um and mantle cleans it does clean up it ignited the team and i i love that they struggle with that because you know you're used to being in a certain spot but the fact that they were producing they realized that it was what was best for the team and i and i picked up on that this time about how they were really trying to in the midst of this home run race they wanted to get hits they wanted to get runs that scene where <laughs> where maris bunts as opposed to hits you know swings for the fences he cared about the team it was a one-run game and he needed to produce that was the kind of guy that maris was he was a team player he wanted to get back to the series he he wanted to live up to the value of his trade and and i think that's where he struggled because now you have this other thing on top like oh my gosh you're also a home run hitter let's just add that on top of the fact that you're going to have to be a great ball player, but you're also going to, have to be a great home run hitter. And so because of that latter, I think the former got diminished, at least in the eyes of the press. Oh, the whole angle of the press is like probably my one of my favorite parts of this outside the relationship. I just It's, I think, so fitting to get to see how they treat this situation throughout the season. And the level of access is, of course, wild to look at in our present day and age where you just have these writers, these beat writers that are like 14 or 15 of them that are, you know, on the field at all times. They're just walking up to dudes while they're at on the, you know, at the box and the hitting, uh, doing hitting practice. Cameras right next to the batter's box. Cameras right in the batter's box almost. It's it's really weird, you know, and Maris is like, can I, can I take batting practice? Can you just get back off? And they're just like asking questions. They won't shut up, you know? And, to some extent, I mean, obviously that continues on today, just the way that paparazzi and and writers try to obsess over people and get a leg up by getting a single quote or um, something that is unique for their story. And it is very interesting to me how they frame the race throughout. Like one of the things that stood out was early on, the one guy who makes note of the fact that Maris doesn't seem to smile. And so they wrote, wrote a headline for their piece in the paper that says something like smile, Roger, it's a game, have fun. And if I was me today, right now with my multiple sports sites, reading an article on like the athletic that pops up in my feed today. And I saw that article, I would laugh at that headline. It would grab my attention and I would read it. And I would have the perception that Maris is just always no fun and sullen and like very, you know, what did they call him? The MVP, most vacant personality is what they said. Yeah. <laughs> I would have that perception of him because that is what the writer put out to me. But what this movie shows you is those moments that is like all that person sees is what this person, this player is doing on the field in that specific environment but here's this whole other personality and life that they have. And I, we as readers, as fans or whatever, would never know that about a person. I was thinking about how without like a documentary or a biopic after the fact, we only get X perception of a person. It is just, that is reality because that's what we see in the moment. Like I was thinking about judge who just recently broke that record of Maris's and all of the hoopla that he was going through 
day after day after day in press conferences after every single game getting asked the same kinds of questions that Maris was getting asked. And then like, that's all we see though, right? Like we don't have any idea what happens when he leaves the ballpark and goes home. How does he feel about that? All we know is, okay, he can handle himself in a press conference, but like, is it affecting him at home? Is he frustrated? Is he loving the attention? We may never know those answers until there's a documentary about him 20 years from now. And that I just found that really interesting. Like I was watching it very self-aware of that. Yeah. And what I dig about the whole media angle of all this is exactly what you said, this idea of the pressure that it puts on the players. I mean, there's an intrusiveness that is so incredible in this movie not only physically just having them right there with them taking batting practice constantly putting in the, in the locker room. I don't think that ever happens where they can just come in. I mean, they have to get permission, but it seemed almost like the exception to the rule was that the manager kicks them out. Like I think it's turned around today where the manager says you can come in after 15 minutes or you can come in when I tell you you can. The privacy of the players I think is more pronounced today than it was back in the 60s but it was almost like this is part of the job as a baseball player you are obligated to talk to the press and what this movie does so well is it isolates Maris and Mantle and there's a moment I think when I think it's after Maris bunts after that game where he bunts he points to like three or four different people who actually helped make the game result happen and he was calling out i think whitey ford he's going to win 20 games this year and you know all these different things he said why don't you talk to them and he's right because the fact is it's not just about maris and mantle to him it's not about maris and mantle to mantle although he's better with the press than maris is because he's had the experience he's a he's a new york kind of guy and so what i think this also does is it amplifies the pressure of the press to have to write something original. At one point, that same reporter told uh, one of his other you know, constituents, he said, look, there are six or seven papers in this town. We can't all write the same thing. And so you kind of get into we, what we call the, 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 pre, the pre-Twitter place here where you just, it's clicks. It's, a, it's, it's pre-clickbait is what it is. You put a headline like, smile, Roger, it's just a game, next to... Roger Maris goes three for four in Yankees win. What are you going to read? Are you going to read? Absolutely. Yeah. So as a reporter, I can't really justify it morally, but from a professional standpoint to keep my job, if I don't have a regular column, if I'm just a beat writer and I'm trying to put food on the table for my family, I don't know if this guy has a family, I can see how bending the truth a little bit or taking a quote out of context would help you sell more papers. It's still the same thing today. You're just trying to get more clicks and that creates more relevance for you. So I think there's pressure there. I think there's pressure, obviously, for Maris specifically, that I think it becomes more pronounced as the movie goes on. There's an interesting scene where he is, I think it's just prior to him breaking the record. He's sitting in his hotel room and there's a Lyle Lovett song. It's the only modern day song that's in the movie everything else is is very much um, era centric for the 60s 
Billy Crystal talks about how he wanted to isolate that scene and use modern music because he wanted to really capture the emotion of a man, not the pressure to hit 61 home runs, but the, but the emotion of a man who's trying to live up to sometimes unfair and lofty expectations and to a point where it became overwhelming for him. And so for Maris, he was already feeling the pressure like early on in the season, he was told by a reporter that he might get traded. I'm like, what are you, are you kidding me? You just got, you just won the MVP. But he tells his wife, Pat, what they care about is if you're producing now. And so seeing that, seeing the, the media, there's so many great moments where pressure is applied. You've got the idea of living up to an ideal. I mean, Mantle is when he hits that home run with one arm. I don't know if that's true. I'd like to believe that it is, but it feels very godlike because I think it's Yogi Bear or somebody that says, he's an effing god, you know? Yeah. Just to, I mean, how do you live up to that? How do you, how do you continue to top who you are and become, you know, you become a legend, but yet you're in a competition with someone who is this good old boy from, from Fargo how does that how does that contrast? And so you could see that play itself out. And then even on a smaller scale, you know, Ralph uh, Hauk, the the uh, the manager. I mean, he's just wanting to win. He doesn't care about the home runs. He wants to make sure that his boys are hitting and they're hitting a lot and they're hitting consistently. And so sixty one just brings a lot with it in terms of all the pressure from all parts. I mean, I really felt that weight as I was watching this time around. It wasn't just on Maris and Mantle. It wasn't a lot of people to really have to get the things that they were trying to accomplish done at the expense of other people or at the benefit of other people. And I mean, I don't want to be a ball player. I don't want to be in the media after watching this. It's just, it's hard. I don't know if I can handle that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it would be easy for anybody, but you're right. The more successful you are, the more you're going to be under the microscope. It's just that simple. And Mantle is okay with that. He loves it. He kind of relishes in it in a, in a way like he is totally comfortable. And Maris even specifically says that he's not, I love, love, love the scene right after that crying scene that you were talking about where he goes to the manager and says, listen, I just want to take a day off. And you can, I mean, it is Billy Crystal achieved what he was going for because it is one of the hardest moments to watch in, in any movie where you see like a man, a specifically a man that is in a job that is defined by stereotype that he should be strong and non-emotional and driven and all about the numbers and the, the success and the power and these things. And you can feel it's a great acting moment because you can really just feel it on his face, how completely like weighted down by this he is. And he has this great conversation with the manager and he says, you know, I don't even know if the people are going to forgive me if I get the record because they want mantle to get it. So like, he feels like he cannot win but what the manager says to him, he says, those guys are bigger than the game. He lists off a bunch of the Yankee legends. 
He says, I know that is not what you want, but right now, whether you like it or not, you're bigger than the game. And Mm -hmm. that's what it boiled down to was you don't get to choose. Like you, by being good at your job, this is part of the, what you're, the, place that you have put yourself in. And I actually love the way that he ends that conversation. He says, listen, I'm not going to sit you down. I want you to go out and I want you to take one at bat. If you still feel that way, let me know and then I will do it. And it's just a great job of leadership, I think, uh, that we see to kind of help man to man get him through that really, really challenging um, emotional time for him. Uh, and I just, I can't imagine ever wanting to do this either. And it, I think it says a lot that Maris, well, if we talk about like the record in general, like Maris's home runs in this year were so massively different than any other year in his career. He never hit more than 33 again. So literally almost double this year than he would ever come to again. And I think that there's several reasons for that. I think one of them is that pressure for sure. I think he realized like, I don't want to deal with this ever again. And it made me think a lot about the fact that he got caught up in this. And because of this, he was swinging for the fences. He also only hit 259 this season, by the way. Because probably he's swinging for home runs uh, more often than he may normally have done. It made me think a lot about Ichiro because it was well known when he was a Mariner of he would have these legendary batting practice sessions where he would just launch home runs like crazy deep out of the park, just left and right over and over and over. And it was very widely believed that if Ichiro had ever wanted to hit home runs, Ichiro could have hit, you know, 30, 40, 50 home runs. But he didn't because he made the right choice. He wanted to get the base hit because he felt like he could do that consistently and that would be more helpful for the team, kind of to what you are talking about earlier. That is Maris. Mantle is on another level. Like, consistently, C-wise, Mantle was at, 40, 50 home runs, multiple years, and just absolutely and high average, right? All the time. This was kind of like Maris's big moment to shine. And it just makes me wonder, like, how many guys out there even playing today or playing any season ever in the history of the game, how many guys could have hit X number of home runs if that's all they tried to do? But then they didn't. And it's just fascinating because, like, it just was a perfect kind of culmination of a moment and a guy choosing to go for it and it actually resulting in this record being set. Yeah, and the season itself is magical because it's not like these two guys were going after a record on a real crap team. It's not like they were the only superstars. That year, the Yankees won the World Series. Roger Maris was the American League MVP again. Roger Maris was also the AP Athlete of the Year, which I thought was really interesting considering all the scrutiny he faced from the media to be named the AP Athlete of the Year. I thought was pretty ironic. Whitey Ford won the Cy Young. Babe, uh, he also won the Babe Ruth Award, which made me remember Babe Ruth was also a great pitcher. You don't think about that because 
he was a big dude who hit a lot of home runs. But you think about the Yankees as a team. I mean, there's a reason why they're a dynasty, why they've won 20 plus World Series. I mean, they're good. And they have a lot of money. I mean, that's that's part of it. You're probably going to get your bigger budget teams to the postseason more often than not. Not everybody's going to be the Oakland Athletics for a couple of years. You're going to have your your big teams that get there. They're not always going to win, but they're going to have a higher probability because they make those appearances. And so when you look at Roger Maris, he did. He hit for his, his lifetime average was 260. Like it was not great. But he was consistent in terms of what he could do. Like he was a great outfielder. And that's what I think 61 also does is it just shows how well-rounded he is. And when you contrast that with Mickey Mantle, there's power in being able to be a showboat. There's power in being able to show who just the kind of baseball player you are. And Mickey Mantle had all those tools on and off the field. Like he absolutely wowed the crowd. That standing ovation in the movie, I don't remember if that actually happened, but for dramatic effect, I think it encapsulated how people felt about Mickey Mantle. Not in contrast to Roger Maris, but how much bigger Mickey Mantle was as an icon beyond just being a great player because he did so many things because he was the Yankees, just like Babe Ruth was the Yankees. But at the same time, you had this other guy, Roger Maris, who was up and coming, was the MVP the previous year, and it sets this tone that, oh, first year Yankee coming in to steal Mickey's Thunder, which is obviously not the case, but he earned it. I mean, you earn the MVP not because you hit massive home runs, and as you mentioned, he never hit that many again, or before for that matter. I think his lifetime number was like 275, like a total. I mean, he was not, this isn't Pujols. This isn't 700. This isn't 715 like Hank Aaron. And that reminds me, Aaron, of the fact that statistics in baseball can live on their own with an individual player. And so we got a chance to interview the director of a recent Nolan Ryan documentary. And it's interesting to see how the a pitcher who leads a league leads the majors in strikeouts still has not been touched also has the record for most walks <laughs> it's you you have statistics that show that you're a man that show that you're a human being and i think watching these two go through the season it showed their humanity in a way that made us attach to them beyond just the wowness of mickey mantle and the aw shucksness of roger maris there's a quote I want to read from a review, and it has to do with the record, because I want to talk a little bit about the record and, and Babe Ruth, but uh, the quote says, although Commissioner Ford Frick's infamous asterisk was dropped from the record books in 91, I didn't know that, 61 as a, as a movie is a wonderfully ironic title for this film about an achievement worthy of a distinguishing mark. After all, Maris wasn't like Ruth, Mantle, or McGuire. That's kind of why we like him. I love that quote because the year that we get the asterisk, asterisk is driven by the fact that it's potentially going to be broken by a guy that nobody knows or nobody, at least in New York, cares about. It does make me wonder, and I don't think this is true, but I wonder, what if Mantle had broken it? What if he had hit 61 home runs on the last day of the season? Would he have had an asterisk? 
I think he would have because there's this weird, unhealthy obsession with Babe Ruth. And I I want to ask you, because I honestly don't know, what do you think is this obsession? What's the origin of this for these folks like Frick and baseball writers who want to sort of preserve Babe Ruth's legacy as the uber home run king? I couldn't tell you other than I, I I'll speculate of course I think it probably has something to do with Yankee homerism because Babe Ruth was a Yankee and he is the first true baseball giant in the world in the sport and so you want that to be your guy and you don't want that notion to ever be challenged. And sure, Maris, Mantle to a bigger extent, all these guys that have come through the pipeline in the Yankees history also would have been Yankees, but to kind of have that claim as the best ever and it be your guy right from the very start for 100 plus years or whatever, I mean, I guess at this point it was only 60 or so, but it's seems to me that that's a pretty substantial thing. And I think that they just don't ever want anything to start to tarnish that because then you come into all sorts of questioning. And of course we live now in an era, which I'm very thankful for an advanced statistics era where we have these new metrics and ways of breaking down and evaluating players and seasons that go so far beyond what they did during like this year and this era, you know, back in the day, it was all about wins. There were tons of pitchers that would get 20 wins. I was talking to my buddies about it this weekend when you and I were growing up, like you'd have five, six, seven guys across the sport every single year with 20 plus wins. That doesn't happen anymore. Hey, they don't pitch that much because they get hurt <laughs> or they get stretched out and, and they, they kind of make it, let them take days off or whatever because they're throwing harder and harder and harder. But there's just used to be an unhealthy obsession with wins. And that was like an all encompassing stat that people would get base their opinions off of a player on. Now that has shifted. We know that wins really is a terrible thing to judge a pitcher by because the pitcher is only one part of the determining factor on whether or not a team wins, you know? And so you look at things like ERA and whip walks and hits per inning pitched and these other, you know, you can always look at wins above replacement and all these other advanced statistics. So anyway, I think that Babe Ruth had such an eye popping, like early stat start, 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 stat, stats from the start that it was just, something they didn't want to challenge. However, I also think that a large part of this in particular was just due to the difference of number of games. And I don't think that that's necessarily independent or specific to Babe Ruth because I see this all the time. You see it in basketball. Well, how do you evaluate records for now versus when the three-point line got added? That's kind of difficult. Like they suddenly had the ability to, I mean, people were making three-pointers before there was a line, they just didn't get as many points for them, you know? And I am a big proponent because of things like this, of trying to always evaluate players in the eras that they played. And it's really 
it, it's a thing that sports fans love to do is to compare, but Babe Ruth versus Mickey Mantle versus Roger Maris and records to me, you, you got to look at things and say, Roger Maris did it against his peers who had an equal number of games. And this is his record. Babe Ruth did what he did 60 years earlier in whatever number of games he did it in. I don't like to compare those things. And I wish that more people would take that approach and just respect them individually. Because I do think personally that it is a big difference. And I I thought that that was cool, Patrick, because not knowing anything about this being a race going into the movie, I had no earthly idea. Like I said, that there were two people that were trying to achieve it. I like how they built up to that initial 154 game mark. And they were, there was the pressure to see if you could get there in the same number of games versus the eight extra games. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But even, I I mean, and I, I struggle with that too, because I think about, I was thinking about that with, with uh, Mark McGuire and I don't know when he hit 62 if it was within 154 games or not, I think I want to say it was, but anyway, but this is again, before I knew that I found out that the asterisk was taken away in 91, that it didn't matter if it was 154, 162. Uh, As a side note, I think baseball is too long of a season. I think we should go back to less than probably 140 because as much as I love the fall classic, when you have world series games potentially being played in November, I'm ready to enjoy Thanksgiving and football. I don't need to see any more baseball past October. That being said, I think that the comment made by Mantle in the movie, or maybe it was, it was Maris, who says, you know, Ruth didn't have to play under the lights. He didn't have to travel to the West Coast. So there was travel. I mean, that that takes its toll. Uh, you're you know, traveling by bus and traveling by, by plane. I mean, that's, that that takes a toll on your body. And as you mentioned, even in modern day, you think about pitchers, for instance. Whitey Ford won 25 games the year that year in 1961. 25 games. That means he he had 25 appearances, and if the statistics are the same, he pitched in at least five of those innings. So that's a lot. I mean, that's a hundred. That's over a hundred innings that we wouldn't normally put a pitcher in because we've created parity. We've added more teams and added more players and it's a game of chess and so i think when we when we look at these records i absolutely agree with the quote that records are made to be broken because the fact is we're still talking about babe ruth not because of his records not because of what he still holds or what he's lost but because babe ruth was and is iconic as a baseball player like he did things at that time that nobody else did and all respect to John Goodman, but I need a better biopic of Babe Ruth than The Babe. I need a better movie because he was a legend. <laughs> Heroes get remembered, but legends never die. Babe Ruth said that, sort of, in the Sandlot. The voice <laughs> of somebody else. Anyway, but the, but I think that's probably my my theory is that Ford Frick and the Yankee organization, they didn't want to see any ounce of Babe Ruth's fame or his legacy tarnished and when you start taking away records it's perceived as like oh well Babe Ruth's not the best yeah in that in that moment he's not but he will have 60 home runs that probably on average every player 90% of 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 players in major league baseball will never hit 
that number. That's why 61 and 62 and 70 and however we, by the way, I, I don't think anybody's hit 70 or 70 plus since McGuire and Sosa and, uh, and Bonds. Uh, Shocking. For- Shocking. (laughs) I have no idea why that is. Wonder why. (laughs) But even thinking about the other statistics and without PEDs, I mean, I don't know that we'll ever get into a pure, pure game. And I think that's a bad argument to make that, well, PEDs didn't exist back in the 60s and the 20s. And so those records are pure. Who cares if they're pure? The fact is, McGuire could knock one out of the park. He had the power to knock one before the PEDs. And so did Bonds, by the way. And so did Sosa. And Judge is doing it without PEDs. We're getting stronger. Baseball players are getting stronger. Ballparks, some are getting smaller, some are getting bigger. And so we have to think about those variances. And I say that because I think that when we think about statistics and who's the all-time X, that's a great stat to have. But if you haven't played in as many games as somebody else, that has to matter. I mean, Ruth played... I think 15 to 18 years. Maris only played like 11. So are we really comparing apples to apples here? We're not. And I think that's where we need to kind of get over it and say, in a given season, let's enjoy the accolades that take place. And I think that's what was really depicted well here and why I don't remember the the actor's name or the, or the reporter's name, but the one who was sort of an advocate for Maris. That's what I think the concept or the the idea of Records are made to be broken lives in because Babe Ruth is never going to be attached to one statistic or 10 statistics that makes him who he is. He will always be the one. And I, and I will say this just to finish up. He came along after the Black Sox scandal. And I think he did for baseball back in the 20s what, what uh, McGuire and Sosa did for baseball in the 90s in that there's this sort of bad taste that gets put in fans' mouths because of some some kind of, uh, not conspiracy, but some kind of just like black mark on the sport. And now we're getting this resurgence. And we need that. I wish it weren't tainted by PEDs, but the fact is they brought people back. And I think that's why Babe Ruth is so valuable is that he brought excitement back to the stadium and because the Yankees owned him because he was their player. I think that's why they wanted to protect his legacy, even though they didn't have to. Yeah, I think you're spot on for all of that. And I think that to your point about you celebrate the achievements and records are meant to be broken. I I mean, I'm all I'm all for that. And I think it's part of the joy of sports fandom is having the ability to debate these things, because I don't know why it set me down this path, but when I was digging into the statistics after watching the movie, and that's when I found the whole Maris only hit 259 during this championship season. And you were saying earlier, this this home run record season, you were saying that he got MVP in back-to-back years. The question is there of, it's always about like perfect storm of opportunity, health, all these things. Mantle had 55 fewer plate appearances due to injuries and battled injuries and and had health issues the entire season that he was struggling with. And he only came up seven home runs short. And could he potentially have had the record himself? Had he been fully healthy? 
I actually did the math like based on his home runs per plate appearances. And he comes up like maybe just really just a couple probably short. So maybe he could have probably not. But when you look at their seasons, it's a it's a weighted thing. We put so much value on the home run, much like we used to put so much value on the wins I was talking about earlier from pitchers. Yeah. Maris hit 259. Mantle hit 317 and had 54 home runs. He had 30 plus more walks than Maris in that year, almost an equal amount of runs and, you know, about 15 or so, 20 so, maybe even tops, less RBIs, which makes sense because of the home run difference typically. But basically what I'm saying is like his OPS was 1.175. Maris's was 0.9 something like he was clearly the better overall hitter and more on that team. But that 61 is you know, it's such a big deal. The record that you elevate that. I actually went and looked up all the some of the other big ones. Judge, McGuire, Sosa and Bonds, all of them in their Roger Maris defeating season, their 60 plus home run seasons. Every single one of them was like 299 average up to like 315. They were all like actually better hitters than 259 um, by far. And so I just, I find it fascinating that we put so much weight on that one statistic and we elevate someone. And so in a sense, and I'm not, this is not me trying to take away from Maris's moment, but I'm glad that Maris did break the record. And I'm glad that Maris got the moment because that's all he was going to get. Like he wasn't Mickey Mantle who was going to have 10 seasons and be what Mickey Mantle has become. But this was his moment. He was able to take those perfect storm of opportunity, talent, and handling the pressure and put it together to achieve something that no one else had done. And that's awesome. And it, and it was, and it's a really cool way to get to learn about it through this particular dra- dramatized telling of the story. Yeah. And I think to, to finish up, you have these two actors. You mentioned that this cast has a lot of people in it, but not a lot of famous people. I knew Thomas Jane as the Punisher. That was kind of all I knew him as. I never knew Barry Pepper apart from after the fact going, oh yeah, he was in the Green Mile. Most oh. of these, yeah, he played one of the uh, one of the okay the polite police officer, uh, correctional officers, and um, but there were but there were so many of those. Oh, yeah, I remember him from this, like Bruce McGill, who I think is just a phenomenal actor. And then you have just like Christopher McDonald, who plays Mel Allen. He's great. You know, Shooter McGavin from from Happy Gilmore. It's just a it's a top notch cast of people that you wouldn't know about. And I think that's what makes it great, because if you'd put somebody like, I don't know, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger in the role of whatever, or if you put Brad Pitt in the in the in the role of Mickey Mantle, I would see Brad Pitt. I wouldn't see Mickey Mantle, and I think that's why, in some ways, this movie feels a little bit less blockbustery, less big theater. One, it was not released in the theater; it was released direct to to HBO. It's a lower budget, but it it did so much with its budget. All the scenes that were not CG were filmed in Tiger Stadium before it was torn down. So they actually painted Tiger Stadium to look like 
pre-1970s Yankee Stadium when it was rebuilt. There were seats that were you know tiger blue and they had to paint them all green. There were so many different like practical effects that were done. For instance, Anthony Michael Hall, who plays Whitey Ford, great in this, by the way. He is actually a right-hander. Like he throws right. Whitey Ford's a lefty. And so they would put a uniform on him with the numbers in reverse, and they would actually film him in reverse to show that's crazy. the lefty, you know, throwing it. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Even yeah, even in the the way that that Barry Pepper and Thomas Jane swing the bat, they swing like Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle. If you look at my if you look at my starter figures back here, they've got the swing down the way which their feet are positioned, the way their hips are positioned at the point of contact. Those kinds of details really exacerbate the idea that this is a love letter, a love letter to baseball, to the Yankees, to Mickey Mantle, to a magical season that was topped with a World Series championship. And while this is probably the only time I will celebrate a Yankees championship, I think it's worth celebrating because so much was happening and because this was a season that culminated with so many really great stories of triumph and tragedy. And I think that's what makes me really enjoy it as a baseball movie, because this is what a baseball movie should make me feel. It should make me feel like, man, I love baseball. And I'm okay loving the Yankees for two hours, <laughs> two hours only. And I'm okay with having starter figures, a starting lineup figures of two Yankees that I will probably never have any other Yankees of. And so I'm fine with that. <laughs> I also love the acknowledgement of things like superstition, by the way, throughout the film, there's multiple times where it comes up. One is with Mantle's beef with DiMaggio seems a lot of that steeped into superstition. And then one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is when they three of them sit down and Maris has made these what they call eggs, his special eggs. And they have this conversation. <laughs> and Bob's like, they're they're terrible. Don't eat them. And Mantle's like, no thanks. I'm good. And Maris tells him, last two times I ate these, I hit a home run. And he's like, all right. And then you see Bob eating them. And he's like, you know, do you actually like them? And he's like, no, they're shit. But I'm in a bit of a slump. I'll try anything. And then you can see, and they like, they like start eating these eggs over and over and over and you see it like have a result, right? Then they start hitting again. And that is so baseball. Like, I don't know any other sport that has the level of superstition that baseball players and baseball fans do. I mean, Patrick, even I was at home with my rally cap and a shoe on top of my head this past Saturday watching the Mariners. <laughs> I have changed shirts in middle of games. I have, I will do anything to try and change the mojo. And and that's only really a baseball specific thing. And I think it's just, it was captured so well. I, I love the rally cap. I think it's a fantastic <laughs> superstition. Uh, listeners, just a little inside baseball, as I use that term uh, for you. One of the things you don't do in baseball is you don't talk about no hitters. Like you don't mention, oh, so-and-so's got a no hitter. So Aaron and I have this thing. It's really hilarious. <laughs> and again, it's what happens. Baseball season comes around. I go to double A baseball games. I do it here too. If if there's a no hitter happening past the fifth inning, like I don't do it in the first or or something, you know, on his end, we will just say, 
banana pancakes and the the game that's going on. <laughs> like that's <laughs> like we're like we're confusing the gods. We of have baseball. code. Like, yeah, we, yeah have we have code. Yeah, because because <laughs> the gods of baseball don't understand that code. So we're like banana pancakes. And we're like, Do you oh, remember? Like how? Why did we choose? I, I'm trying to remember why it's we so chose. ridiculous. Because did we so just like absurd. say? Did we just make up random words? Like we one I of us pick. I don't even remember. I think it was a no hitter. I was like, "Ooh, banana pancakes!" Like I think I just said that or or whatever. Oh man! <laughs> like I was really excited, and that was like the first phrase. Yeah, that came I think out of maybe. Oh, goodness. I was listening to Jack Johnson at the time, so that's probably why it came out that way. Banana pancakes. <laughs> so so yes, awesome. I, I I absolutely love baseball superstition i think it's just as much a part of the magic of the game and uh it just it's wonderful because it i think what it does aaron is it makes you a participant at that point you go beyond just being a spectator that you are willing something to happen and even though it won't have to happen half the time the times that it does just reinforces that that goofy superstition which just makes it more fun that's going to do it for us on this edition of feel and film this is a great conversation aaron thank you for uh for letting us do this. I'm glad you enjoyed it, and it made for a, for a wonderful talk. Next week, we are um, reviewing Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. I wanted to make sure I said that really slow because I would have gotten tongue-tied there. I have not seen it. Um, you gave me a whole list of movies that we could potentially cover, and I queued up a bunch of the trailers. This was one that stood out. I believe it's releasing on Blu-ray, so I'm really excited to get my first-time watch in this week to be able to to have the discussion. So if you've seen it, if you haven't, Watch it with me, not literally with me. That would be awkward because I don't know half you people. But enjoy it and come back for the conversation on that one. Until then, we are out of here. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.